we're talking about Israel as a captive nation. And uh, Judah should have learned the lesson from Israel, uh, but they didn't. They had an opportunity to see, hey, ten tribes of Israel have already gone into captivity, and uh, man, we're in a bad position. If we don't turn course and uh, do what is right, God's coming after us. And uh, Israel was indeed a very wicked, uh, wicked place. And we're going to talk about Israel today here in 2 Kings chapter 17, 2 Kings, <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me, I got a frog in my throat, 2 Kings chapter 17, uh, verse 1, in the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, began Hosea, the son of Elah, to reign in Samaria over Israel nine years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel that were before him. Verse 3 of 2 Kings 17, Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hosea became his servant and gave him presents. And the king of Assyria found conspiracy in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to sow king of Egypt and brought no present to the king of Assyria as he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria came up throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it three years. Hosea was the last ruler of the northern kingdom, which was taken down in the year 722 B.C. Uh, Judah would be taken down in the year 586 B.C. So they had quite a few a while uh, before that they were uh, conquered. But the Assyrians invaded the land. They deported many of the citizens, repopulated Israel with Gentile people. So they removed, out of these ten tribes, they removed Israelites and put in their Gentiles. And Israel lost its leader. Uh, Hosea had assassinated Pekah and seized the throne of Israel, 2 Kings 15. Uh, Tiglath-Pileser has died. Shalmaneser is now king of Assyria. And uh, Hosea uh, gave homage to him and brought him tribute. He bring him taxes from the people. But eventually he makes a secret treaty with, his, uh, with Egypt, and uh, the king of Assyria hears of this, and he is enraged. And uh, he wanted to break the Assyrian yoke. He wanted freedom again. Now, in Isaiah chapter 31, verse 1, would you look with me here? In Isaiah 31, 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. Isaiah 31, 1. It says here, Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help, and stay on horses and trust in chariots, because they are many and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they look not into the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Now this is a frequent problem with Israel, Judah, and I think all believers in general. Our inclination is to go to worldly means to solve our problems. Uh, there are all sorts of solutions that people go through to try to fix themselves, potentially maybe in addictions. They'll have some addiction program, but they never change the heart that God changes, and they just exchange one addiction for another addiction, or they go back to the very same addiction that they thought they got victory from. But the fact is, we're going to the world for answers, a very world that is dead. You're going to that which is dead for dead answers. And uh, Judah and Israel here, the very same thing. He's going to Egypt saying, hey, I need help. Uh, these Assyrians, they're burdening me. 
Now, I don't want to go to the world's philosophies to get of how to live a Christian life. I don't need to mix Christianity and heathenism and philosophies of this world and the psychologies of this world with Christianity and somehow make some new, more revealed Christianity that's enlightened. That's, that's hogwash. That's not what ought to happen. God has given us the pure word of God. I don't need to mix it with anything else. It doesn't need to be diluted. It's already concentrated in all that God wants it to be, and it'll do the work. And I need to come to God for my help. And uh, I know I understand that we do go to the world and ask for help in, in our medical. I'm not saying we ought to go, because God's given uh, uh, intelligence to do that. But, you know, when problems arise, the very first thing that I ought to do is go to the Lord. And that's exactly what happened here. And, and here is Hosea. He doesn't find himself repenting before the Lord. He doesn't find himself asking God for help or calling a national day of fasting and prayer. He doesn't do any of that. Well, we find even as Israel today, we find that uh, there in, uh, the uh, prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, he, he's calling out, we're going to crush them with force. We need our allies to come to our aid, and then we're going to come against Hamas, and we're going to defeat them. He also even says that we're going to bring, this is an Isaiah uh, a prophecy fulfilled, he says. We're going to bring in peace. No, they're not. They can't bring in peace. Because they're doing it in their own power, in their own wickedness, their own idolatry, and they're, not, they're, they're trying to go to Egypt for help. They're not going to find it. And so it is with believers today who will turn to the world for help instead of waiting on the Lord and trusting him to solve the problems. And Shalmaneser discovers this very plot. He takes Hosea prisoner and left the throne of Israel empty. You see, my friend, if I want to go to Egypt for help, and I'm going to trust in my might, my strength, my intelligence, my academics for getting me through life, then you're going to have a lot more disappointments because you'll never get to the place where you're satisfied because your satisfaction is in a constantly moving agenda. That's why people with much wealth, they're never fully satisfied because their satisfaction is upon money. Well, so-and-so has more money, so I need more money. And then it's just this constant battle of a race for life, and then you get to the end of your race, and you've lived your life all for money, and only to find out, wow, I just neglected a lot of things. I've neglected family. I've neglected the Lord. I've neglected many, many things that I should have had a focus upon, but I neglected because my focus was misaligned. I went to Egypt for help. In the year 725 B.C., Shalmaneser besieged Samaria, and then he died, or was killed, and his leading general, Sargon II, takes over. The siege would last three years, and in 722 B.C., the city, was capitu the city capitulated. It gave in. It said, we surrender. Assyria had already taken the tribes east of the Jordan River. Now, you remember that there's two and a half tribes east of the Jordan River. When Israel went into the promised land, there were two and a half tribes that said, we want to stay here. We're comfortable. Our, our, tri our, our cattle have wonderful land. We don't need to go into the promised land. We have a great place. Moses, can we stay here? Moses said, that's fine. Uh, or not Moses, Joshua said, that's fine. Uh, but Joshua says, listen, you have to go help us defeat in the promised land first. Well, you realize that those, because those people never stepped into the promised land of the Lord, they were comfortable outside of the promises of God, outside of the fulfillment of the promises that God had given, they were comfortable, and they were the most likely to be defeated over and over 
and over again. And the Christian can easily, just as we see here in these two and a half tribes, it would be outside, uh, outside of the <clears throat> uh, promised land. They, it's like the Christian who's comfortable, but they're not willing to take the next step that they know they need to take. They don't want to move forward for the Lord. Uh, they don't want to be in service to God. They're comfortable just attending church. They're comfortable just coming on Sundays. They don't want to come to evangelism. They don't want to come to community events. They don't want to come to other things. They're just happy to be here on Sundays doing their Sunday thing. But, but, but in regards to doing things for God, they're, they're, hey, I've got, I'm comfortable. My friend, you're going to face a lot more enemies if we stay outside of going into the promises and the blessings of what God has called us to do. You see, God had called Israel to get into the promised land and to go there and to do it, but Israel loses its land. As we look further here in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 6, In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away into Assyria and placed them in Hala and in Hibor by the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. Then we come to chapter uh, 18, verses 9 through 12. And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years they took it, even the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. And the king of Israel did carry away Israel into Assyria and put them in Hala and in Habor by the river of Gozem and in the city of the Medes. Because, because why? They obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded and would not hear them nor do them. You are set in your ways. You're stubborn. You're rebellious. You don't want to be a part of what God is doing. You've got your life. It's kind of like the very idea. There's a particular day. This is my day. I'm not going to do anything. This is my day for me. And we can get that way. I mean, it's just like those east of the Jordan River. This is our land. I'm comfortable. I've got my life. I don't need to go forward for God. I don't need to get into the place that God has called us to. I don't need to get into the place that God has given as a covenant to Abraham some 430 years prior. I don't need to get there. I'm good right now. An individual that doesn't want to move forward in more greater service for God, and greater service to, to be used. Lord, how can I do more for you? And Israel loses its land. It goes into captivity. And it's so easy that the things of this life will take you captive, take captive your mind, and you're no longer effective for God. You're, you're easily upset. You're easily offended. You're easily embittered. You're easily, your time is distracted all over the place because God is not the focus. You ha- are the master of your destiny. A serious policy was to relocate these conquered peoples and replace them with prisoners from other nations. We find here in several things that God tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Look with me here in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 25. 
When a nation digresses from God's covenant and goes into disobedience, they will bring defeat in war. How often is it you've heard Christians say, why did God let this happen to me? I want to ask you a question when that question, when that very uh, uh, statement is posed and the curiosity is arisen, is there a, a, a path of faithfulness in that person's life? Is there a path where that individual has lived righteously before God? Deuteronomy 28:25, the Lord shall cause thee to be smitten before thine enemies. Thou shalt go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them and shalt be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth. Going on in verse 49, the Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, a nation of fierce countenance which shall not regard the purse of the old nor show favor to the young. God says, listen, you're going to be defeated in war. And then verse 52, he shall besiege thee in all thy gates until thy high and fence walls come down, wherein thou trustest throughout all thy land, and he shall besiege thee in all thy gates throughout all thy land, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. There's defeat in war. Now, it is easy in the Christian life, sometimes we can trust in an individual. Uh, We can trust in a, we can even trust in a pastor. Uh, We could say, hey, you know what? Pastors are going to fail you. People are going to fail you. People are fallen. If I get my focus off of the Lord as the, the focus and the reverence of my life, I'm going to face defeats. Not only that, Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you're still there in Deuteronomy, look with me at verse 29, an additional punishment that God says, and thou shalt grope at noonday as the blind gropeth in darkness, and thou shalt not prosper in thy days, thou shalt be only oppressed and spoiled evermore, and no man shall save thee. God is saying, listen, you're going to go, there's going to be oppression and there's slavery. You're going to grope at noonday. That is like a Christian saying, I don't know how I got here. I don't know why this is happening. Could it very well be that maybe there's idolatry in your life? And you say, well, I don't have any little uh, idols in my life. I'm not paying homage. Well, there's very things that can get us so distracted from what I ought to be doing for the Lord. If, I mean, if someone's never in the Word of God, then there's idols in their life. If you can't be in the Word of God daily, there's idols in your life. There's oppression and slavery in verse 33, verse 48, verse 68. Uh, it talks about these. Again, uh, verse uh, 33, The fruit of thy land and all thy labor shall a nation which thou knowest not eat up, and thou shalt be only oppressed and crushed away. There's captivity in verse 36 that God says, The Lord shall bring thee and thy king which thou shalt set over thee unto a nation which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, and there shalt thou serve other gods wood and stone. How often is it that we can make for our very lives, even the idea of work, people are like, I've got so much to do, I can't make it to church. Well, then you're worshiping the wood and the stone and the food on your table and the things that you can acquire more than giving a preeminence upon the worship of the Lord. Captivity is going to happen. And that business place and that workplace is going to require more and more 
and more, and your, your, your spiritual strength is just going to go, and you're going to get to a place, you're saying, how did I get here? How often is that seen in the lives of professing believers? In verse 43, talking further about captivity, the stranger that is within thee shall get up above thee very high, and thou shalt come down very low. We can come to a place in our lives where we can say, how did I ever get here? Why is all, it's like everything I touch, everything's getting bad. Could it very well be that the hand of God is against you? Because your heart is not right, you will not listen and you will not do. Open your ears. I want you to look with me something else here, and it's quite interesting. Leviticus chapter 25. God calls the land, the land belongs to God, it doesn't belong to Israel. Israel is a tenant. You know, today, my wife and I, we have a house that we have a mortgage on. We would say it's our house, but really it's the bank's. And should there ever come a time where that mortgage is paid off, that land, we still pay property taxes on that land. There's never a time where you're not paying for that house or that property. You're always paying for it. So yes, it might be in my care and stewardship for X amount of years, however long we, you desire to reside in a particular location, but ultimately, it's going to go to someone else after your time here on earth is over. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 2. Let's look at verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When ye come into the land, God calls it the land, which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Now look with me at verse 23. The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me. What is God telling them? He says, listen, you are just passing through this life. It's my land. It's mine. I'm giving it to you. I've everything set up. Verse 38, I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. He says, listen, as you're going through life, I want you to continue to realize it doesn't belong to you. It's mine. The house that my wife and I resided isn't, isn't ours. It's ultimately God's because God has allowed us the capabilities and the resources to uh, put forth to live in that place. In Leviticus chapter 25, verse 55, look with me here. Not only was the land God, so were the people. For unto me the children of Israel are servants. They are my servants, whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So the Christian today is, does not belong to himself. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 tells us this. Let's look here. I'm going to show you this. The very same parallel idea here uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> and idolatry tells you, you own it, you're your own person, you can do it the way you want to. But that's not the truth. It was God's land and God's people. But God told them, listen, you're only here for a short time on earth. There's always a focus on the eternal. There's always a focus on eternity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, what... 
Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Isn't that what God said to Israel? He says, listen, I brought you out of Egypt. I delivered you. I redeemed you. Christian, I redeemed you from sin. Your body is mine. And Israel would possess the land. They would enjoy the blessings as long as they kept the terms of the covenant. Now, they would keep the covenant in theory and in practice, but they wouldn't keep it in heart. And the continual disobedience brought discipline upon discipline upon discipline. And ultimately, they would be disciplined out of the land. Because of the people's sins during the time of the judges, seven different nations would invade, take the crops, enslave the people right in their own land. After the division of the nation, Israel was taken captive by Assyria and Judah by Babylon. God kept the terms of his covenant. As you found in Deuteronomy 28, Leviticus 25. In Deuteronomy 28, God says, listen, you go away from me. You're also going to go away from this land. You see, Christian, we want the sweet and abiding presence of God. We want the rest of God. We want the peace of God. We want the joy of the Lord in our lives. And it could very well be that when we're going through some of these, and now we understand also that God does allow trials in our lives to test us, uh, as Job was tested, to prove his faithfulness. And Job had some things to learn as well. Now, coming forward here in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 7, uh, 2 Kings chapter uh, 17, verse 7, For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and had feared other gods, and walked in the statutes of the heathen whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel, and of the kings of Israel which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God, and they built them high places in all their cities, from the Tower of the Watchman to the Fenced City. And they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burned incense in all the high places, as did the heathen, whom the Lord carried away uh, before them, and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger, for they served idols whereof. Lord had said to them, Ye shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets, by all the seers, saying, Turn ye from your evil ways, and keep my commandments and my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. God says, Listen, I've given you warnings. I've continued to give you the truth. I have not neglected you. I have not just judged you harshly because you've messed up. God gives warnings. God always gives warning. God always gives a precursor to a harsher judgment. Verse 14, Notwithstanding they would not hear, but hardened their necks like to the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God, and they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers, and his testimonies which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain, and went after the heathen that were round about them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them, that they should not do like them. And they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made them molten images, even two uh, calves, and made a grove and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. They caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire and use divination and enchantment and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. What a legal, this is like a legal court case against Israel. God's just laying out, here's all the charges. 
The law was a gift from God. God says, here, I'm going to give you some metrics, some standard by which you can measure your actions, measure your heart. And, and I want to see if you're doing right. The Lord would send prophets who would admonish them. And God would even send the judges. And, and you find that the judges' period is much like you and I in our lives. There in the judges' period, uh, Joshua was there and all the children of Israel did right. Joshua passes off the scene and the people, uh, they degrade into immorality and all sorts of idolatry. Then an invasion comes, captivity comes. They plea, cry out to God, oh, we're so sorry, forgive us. God sends a judge. A judge comes in. It defeats the uh, captive. uh, enslaving nation it gives them victory gives them liberty again they rejoice in the lord only to shortly thereafter forget what god has delivered them from i think they're very similar to the, the story of israel is very similar uh, many times to a christian's life as their ancestors had done so many times they stiffened their hearts they hardened their hearts and refused to obey the lord you find all throughout Deuteronomy 9, uh, verse 6, verse 13, uh, chapter 10, verses 12 through 22, Nehemiah 9, 16, 17, 29, Psalm 106. You know, look with me at Psalm 115, verse 8. We become like the very gods we worship. People idolize various athletes, and they want to be like them. They want to wear the clothes that they wear. They want to listen to the music they miss, miss, uh, listen to. I mean, that, the, the whole idea of the advertising industry many times of putting forth Hollywood and, and athletes before the people is, hey, here's someone whom I really like as a particular athlete or movie star, and I want to be like them. So I'm following them. And now with social media, you can have a greater inside if if these individuals put their life out there on social media you can find out all about them you can buy the food like they buy you can wear the clothes like they wear you can drive the cars like they drive in psalm 115 verse 8 uh talking about those who are making idols and uh the idol makers they that's the idol makers that make them are likened to them so is everyone that trusteth in them you become like the idol you worship if you're worshiping money, your job and, and the attainment of money is your, uh, your focus. You're going to want to be around people that know how to make money. Now, making money isn't necessarily bad. Being a, a good entrepreneur and a good businessman isn't a bad thing. But if that is your focus and I want to be like them, as opposed to be what God made me to be, I've got an issue. The people became vanity, as we would find here in verse 15. Of 2 Kings 17, it says, uh, <clears throat> let's look at this, 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 15, and they followed vanity and became vain. That's right there in the middle of verse 15 of 2 Kings 17. So, as often the case, uh, the children would suffer for the sins of the parents, and for the Jewish fathers began to offer their sons and daughters on the fiery altars of the heathen gods. And, and a, a young child, many times children, want to be like their parents. And, and, and as that child goes forth, they're, they're making the same mistakes their parents made. Why? Because their focus in life is a fallen person. Israel would go into a position of following their forefathers. Hey, they were successful businessmen. They were successful entrepreneurs. They were great craftsmen. 
Uh, they've traveled all over the world. And Jewish people today have, uh, have quite a world renown for their capabilities, their technology. And, and so do other nations as well. But nevertheless, that can become the very emphasis of life. And we will become like what we emphasize. Verses 18 through 33 of 2 Kings. Let's read this. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and moved them out of his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah only. And also Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made. Verse 20 of 2 Kings 17. The Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of spoilers until he had cast them out of his sight. For he had rent Israel from the house of David and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. And Jeroboam drave Israel from following the Lord and made them sin a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They departed not from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants the prophets. So was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. And the king of Assyria brought them from Babylon and from Cutha and from Ava and from Hamath and from Sepharvim uh, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel, and they possessed Samaria, dwelt in the cities thereof. And so it was, at the beginning of the dwe- their dwelling there, that they feared not the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which slew some of them. Therefore they spake to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations which thou hast removed and placed in the cities of Samaria know not the manner of the God of the land. Therefore he hath sent lions among them. And behold, they slay them, because they know not the manner of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Carry thither one of the priests whom ye brought from thence, and let them go and dwell there, and let him teach them the manner of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel, and taught them how they should fear the Lord. Howbeit every nation made gods of their own, and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. And the men of Babylon made Succoth, uh, Benoth, and the men of Cuth made Nergal, and the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and the Sepharvites burnt their children fire to Adramalek and Anamalek, uh, the gods of Sepharvim. So they feared the Lord and made in themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord and served their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. So these people, I mean, the anger of the Lord is upon the land, and, and it's this idea, the fear of the Lord means to worship the Lord according to the law of Moses, and yet these people, they didn't want to do it according to God. They had, their, they, they had this idea of this all-inclusive plurality of religions. You can serve God your way. You do God your way. The king of Syria believed that each god was associated with a particular land, so he says, well, uh, let those from Israel serve the god of their land, as if there is a plurality of deities. The new residents here, who are many of them Gentiles, they didn't know about the god of the Bible. They didn't know how to worship the Lord of Israel, and so they send a, a priest there who teaches them about God. But the very priests that are there, as it mentions here in the latter portion of the passage we read, uh, verse 32, so they feared the Lord and made unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places. What is it? They have no prerequisites. The, the, if you want to be a priest, there is not God's prerequisites to being a priest. 
You don't need to be of the, of the, the tribe uh, of the Levites. You don't need to be of those. Uh, no, you can be a priest if so-and-so elects you to be it. You don't need to follow God's guidelines. And so we find this if you deviate from God. And, and churches today are, are electing people to be pastors and such who are not even qualified by the Bible to be a pastor. Because they're saying, well, this is what I believe. I, I, I have this here and I have this here. Well, it doesn't matter what you believe. What does the Bible say are the prerequisites to being a pastor and a leader? And the, the people here in this land, just as Israel does today, they would applaud the World Congress of Religion, the World Council of Churches, where you have all sorts of denominations of churches all coming together. And I mean, it's just a hodgepodge of, and there's, Total compromise of doctrine. They're not saying Jesus is. I mean, they're okay with the Buddhists. And the, uh, there's all sorts of garbage coming in. And pluralism, pluralism means that God, the idea of pluralism is any religion is okay for you. All roads lead to God, as would be in the pluralistic idea. But we know that that's not true. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible tells us, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name uh, under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's in Jesus alone. The Jews, Jesus rejected the Samaritans' religion because salvation is of the Jews. Jesus would come of the Jews. And the Jewish people would ignore God's standards for priests and God's standard as uh, God gave to Moses of what was required to be the prerequisites to being a priest. They set up their own ceremonies, their own beliefs. They did God their way. But Israel didn't learn her lesson. Look with me in the final parts of this passage of Scripture here, uh, verses 34 to 41. And to this day they do after the former manners, they fear not the Lord, neither do they after their statutes or after their ordinances or after the law and commandment, which the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, Ye shall not fear other gods, nor bow yourselves to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice them. But the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt with great power and a stretched out arm, him shall you fear, and him shall you worship, and him, and to him shall you do sacrifice, and the statutes, and the ordinances, and the law, and the commandments which he wrote for you, ye shall observe to do forevermore, and ye shall not fear other gods. Uh, but the Lord your God ye shall fear, and he shall deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. Howbeit they did not hearken, but they did after their former manner. So these nations feared the Lord. And serve their graven images, both their children and their children's children, as did their fathers, so do they unto this day. What a sad, what a very sad state. Israel didn't learn their lesson. In spite of the way that God had warned them, chastened them. And God will use people in our lives today sometimes uh, to give us a correction. I've had it, I remember back in the military, I had a person that was lost. And they said, Christians ought not to do that. And I was rather put back by an individual whom I knew was not saved saying something, but they were right. Israel would forget God's laws and covenants. They would forget God's commandments, and especially concerning idolatry. Many professing Christians today, the people of Israel worship the Lord where and how they please. You can't just serve God any way you want. You don't just do it. God's given us instructions. Now he's given us his spirit. He's given us the word of God. The Bible is our standard for how I worship him, for how I approach him, for how I, uh, everything, I mean, for how I raise my family, for how the church is conducted. This is the standard because if I get away from this as the standard, anything goes and you've got a real mess on your hands. 
There has to be a standard. There has to be some guidelines because if in a workplace everyone's doing their own thing and you have an assembly line and everyone, I want to do this job and I want to do this job, but no one wants to do necessarily the hard job, that assembly line's going to come to a halt pretty quickly. And so God has given us the prerequisites of how, what is required uh, for the church, what's required for leadership, God's re- uh, for, uh, for husbands and wives and children. God's given all of that. These ten disobedient tribes, what happens to them? You don't hear about the ten lost tribes of Israel. The Bible never uses that phrase. The ten tribes would actually assimilate into the, the foreign lands, producing the Samaritan people, of which the Jews during Jesus' time thought very ill of them. Long before the Assyrians would capture the northern kingdom, dedicated people from the ten tribes moved to Judah and remained faithful to the Lord. The people leave these ten tribes in the north. They come to Judah. They say, hey, I'm tired of idolatry. I'm tired of doing it my way. I want to do it God's way. I want to worship in the temple. I want to worship God. I want to be with God's people. You know, that's one of the beautiful things in church. It ought to be where we're coming around God's people. It ought to be an encouragement. It ought to be a blessing and a joy to be with God's people. And King Hezekiah would invite the true believers to come to Judah and worship God according to the scriptures. And Hezekiah was a godly king. And Hezekiah had the Assyrians up against him. And, and uh, he would say no to them. He, and he, he repented. I mean, Hezekiah, I mean, not repented, but he just tore his clothes as, as the enemies were invading him. And he went to God and said, oh God, we need your help. Jesus would talk about the lost sheep of the house of Israel and You know, there's nothing of these lost tribes, but there's the lost sheep. There's Israelites who have gone astray. They're lost. They're headed for hell. And, uh, you know, Paul would speak about our 12 tribes in Acts 26, 7. James wrote his epistle to the 12 tribes scattered abroad as Israel would be scattered all throughout the world. And yet they've maintained their identity. Remarkable thing for Israel as a nation today. But the main message of this passage of Scripture here in these two chapters, 16 and 17, is the tragic demise of false worship that leads to corrupt practices. If you begin to want to serve God your own way, apart from the Scriptures, we go down a very dangerous path. If you begin to just compromise on getting your eyes off the Lord, just as Peter did as he was there on the sea, as he came to Christ on those waves, as the trials came and he got his eyes off the Lord, he began to sink. Disobedient and compromising leaders, both kings and priests, pastors, parents, if we compromise, we lead our children down a very bad path. I've got to teach People, the word of God. Each new generation needs to hear of the power and the might of our great God. They, the children, and we need to see it, but also our children need to see God still answers prayer. There's coming a day when God's anger will be displayed against his people and the political entity known as Israel, the northern kingdom, would be destroyed years prior to Judah, and yet Judah never learned its lesson. What a sad, sad story for a nation that once had God's great blessings on it. They're in the very place that God said, this is my land, but I'm going to let you use it. I'm going to let you prosper here and bless you. And all nations, man, you're going to be a wonderful people. But God took second place. If I get my eyes off the Lord and what I know I'm supposed to do, it's not if something's going to happen, it's when. Keep your eyes right Keep them on the standard of God's word. Keep them focused 
on the one who redeemed you, of whom you belong. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I love you. I sure thank you for this day. I thank you for your gracious, your graciousness and the warnings you give us in your word. And, and Father, I pray as we go forth that you would be magnified and exalted. I pray, Father, that uh, you would keep our hearts steadfast upon the upon thy word. And Lord, uh, we wouldn't give in to idolatry. Lord, that every day this book would penetrate my hard heart. And, and Lord, that you'd help me to be all that I should be every day. Lord, I need the manna from heaven from your holy word. And God, keep us fixed. Keep us steadfast. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to remind me, get back on the path and follow you. I love you. Thank you for these challenges this morning. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.